Welcome to the Empire Files podcast. I'm Abby Martin, here in studio with Mike Preisner, as well as a very special guest I'll be introducing you to in just a moment. As you know, we're hard at work on our new film, Earth's Greatest Enemy, about the U.S. military's role as the world's top polluter. As we've been diving into this topic, we found a story too urgent to not highlight immediately. Be sure to go to earthsgreatestenemy.com to help us do this work and sign up on patreon.com slash empirefiles for exclusive podcasts. Today, we want to call your attention to an urgent story, an unfolding disaster that everyone needs to be aware of and push for action. Right now, the drinking water in Honolulu, Hawaii is being poisoned by the U.S. military. And instead of rushing to save lives, they're engaging in a cover-up. At this moment, around half a million residents, including service members stationed at Pearl Harbor, have been drinking water contaminated by dangerous fuel chemicals. It's all coming from Red Hill, owned and operated by the U.S. Navy. Here's Hawaii Congressman Kai Kahele on December 2nd, talking about what's emerged over the past several days. Today, Amanda just texted me, and it's about 6 o'clock in the morning, Hawaii time, Mr. Chairman, that she went to the Tripler emergency room last night because of a headache and irritation in her mouth and throat, and her doctor diagnosed her with chemical burns in her mouth. And there have been concerns on the community for years on the possibility of leaks from Red Hill into the drinking water supply. What is Red Hill? It's a massive fuel storage facility at Pearl Harbor that fuels ships in the U.S. Pacific Fleet. Buried under a mountaintop, it contains 20 tanks of fuel. Each of those tanks is about 18 stories high and holds about 13 million gallons of fuel apiece. There are always about 187 million gallons stored in these tanks. Why is this so dangerous? Listen to Ernest Lau explain. Lau is the manager and chief engineer of Oahu's Bureau of Water Supply, responsible for ensuring the Big Island has access to safe and clean water. Remember Ernest, because we'll be hearing his voice again later in the episode. This is a clip from 2016, where he's warning about the danger posed by the Red Hill storage facility. Under this facility is something called an aquifer. That's correct. The groundwater aquifer sits right below the entire uh, field facility there at Red Hill, the Navy's field facility, uh, just about 100 feet uh, above the top of the water table from the bottom of the fuel tanks. Uh, that's all the space that separates the fuel from the drinking water supply. That's right. 187 million gallons of fuel is stored just 100 feet above a vital source of drinking water. According to the Navy's own studies, Red Hill has been leaking fuel into the ground for pretty much its entire existence. And the fear of that fuel reaching the freshwater aquifers is well known. Water officials like Ernest Lau, as well as indigenous leaders and local environmental activists, have been demanding the total shutdown and relocation of this facility for decades. The Navy's maintained that there's no reason to worry, Listen to Navy Captain Ken Epps on local Honolulu News in 2015. Good morning to you, Captain. Good morning, Ron. Good to be here. Top two questions people are asking. Number one, is our drinking water safe? And number two, will it continue? 
continue to be safe. Yes, Ron. So easy questions to answer. One, the drinking water is safe. And I know that because we test the drinking water exhaustively every once every quarter. And we also have ground monitoring wells near Red Hill, which we test on a monthly basis. So we would know if there was any petroleum in the water, the drinking water is safe. Okay. The big problem with his statement here is those wells he mentioned testing constantly Those wells always show levels of diesel, oil, and lead that is well above the acceptable threshold. But they insisted, as long as it actually didn't make its way to the aquifer, that there was no reason to worry. Here's water manager Ernest Lau again, explaining the danger of that logic. It says that the fuel contamination hasn't yet reached us, but our concern over the long term, because groundwater moves, and we are pumping, can we actually draw the contaminants toward our wells and will we eventually get it into our drinking water wells? Now, that moment everyone has been warning about has come. As of December 3rd, that major water source has been shut down due to massive amounts of Navy chemicals. Nobody knows how long people have been drinking this toxic water. Nobody knows how big this leak really is. Nobody knows how much of a Wahoo's water is poisoned. Nobody knows how many people now and in the future will suffer serious health effects, including death as a result. To explore this story, we are honored to be joined by Lori Lou Freshwater. Lori herself is a survivor of the largest water contamination case in U.S. history, also perpetrated by the U.S. military at Marine Base Camp Lejeune. Her first-hand experiences led her to pursue a master's in journalism, where she documented the impacts of military pollution, as well as being a longtime leader in the struggle for justice by victims of the Camp Lejeune disaster. She's currently working on a book titled Marine Life, How War Transformed America's Environment, From Farms and Fishing to Toxic Soil and Water. Thank you so much for joining us on the Empire Files podcast, Lori. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate um, all your work and bringing awareness to these these terrible situations. We appreciate your work as well. We're honored to have you today. Uh, If you don't mind, I do want to start by talking about your personal story, Lori, um, because it all ties into your work today. Something that we've been wanting to cover for a while is just, you know, obviously the biggest water contamination case in U.S. history at the Marine Corps base Camp Lejeune that you lived at when you were a child. Uh, you have horrific tragedy in your own family because of the the lack of accountability, let's just say, of, of the dumping and pollutants that were so widespread at this Marine Corps base. Uh, could you just talk briefly about that and how that plays into what you do? Sure. Um, So I was at Camp Lejeune um, living in base housing in the late 70s through about 83, 1983. Um, And I had been on base living in temporary housing, waiting to get stationed to Louisiana um, before that. Um, And my family is actually from Onslow County, but my mother married a Marine when I was five. So that's how I ended up on base. Um, So when we were on base, those are the years that were the the chemicals peaked and became this kind of monster that they couldn't hide anymore. Um, They had a 
long period of time where they knew what was in the water and they still kept the taps going. So um, it's that kind of, you know, injustice that you know will never be, there's no way to write it, but you know that even if there were, they wouldn't, they wouldn't give you access to that. Um, so my mother ended up having um, two babies that had neural tube defects. Neither one of them survived. And that was before we lived on lived on base for those years, but we had already spent time there. Um, she became involved with Camp Lejeune, the water contamination, before I did. And I kind of thought, well, you know, the babies, that could have been a number of things. And I was raising my own children. Um, so, I, you know, I just wasn't as engaged as she was in it. But then um, in 2013, she developed two types of acute leukemia, uh, which is, you know, not not a, a common thing. Um, and then the testing came back that it was very likely attributable to benzene, which is a petrochemical, a part of a part of uh, petroleum products. So um, watching her go through, you know, the 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 just horrible death that leukemia can cause. Um, and, and losing her, uh, you know, without any, at that point we had not even gotten any, um, healthcare from the government for us. So she had to go through all of that without any support. And, um, it just made me very angry and having, having the babies and then with the addition of the leukemia, those are the two things that are, uh, I would say, you know, just from my experience in reading studies, uh, neural tube defects and leukemia, blood disorders, are the two things that are um, ha have the most literature linking that those those things to these chemicals that we drink. So I got I got angry, and I was uh, finishing up a master's degree in English literature and wanting to write fiction. But when I started researching Camp Lejeune, it pulled me towards journalism, and I ended up getting going back to school for journalism at that point. And that's kind of what I've been doing since. Um, I I just I can't walk away from it, and so that's when I started kind of doing some work. And then people started contacting me from other places around the country, saying, "Hey, I'm I'm sick, or we have this this waste left over uh, from." you know, the Manhattan Project, or my housing has mold in it, and, and people are just looking for someone to, to make their voice heard. And I kind of just got to a point where I couldn't, I couldn't walk away from, from this role that I've, I've found myself in. So that, I guess that's a, that's a, probably a longer story than you might have wanted. No, I mean, it's <laughs> extremely personal. And I think it's really important to lay out that case, um, that has fueled you, you know, fueled your fight. And I mean, we're talking about 30 years of this toxic water that had been dumped in Camp Lejeune, where, as you know, Lori, there's like a portion of a nearby graveyard that's called baby heaven because yeah. of how many children, um, how many infants died. And the fact that your family personally experienced this tragedy is just absolutely horrific. I mean, the government didn't acknowledge this, even as you mentioned, for decades. And 
didn't even acknowledge that healthcare should be provided until I think 2012. And I'm not even sure if that's still in effect. And you personally are auto, you have autoimmune conditions now. And I mean, I don't know if you attribute that to living on base or, you know, being near base when you were a child, but I mean, it's just so widespread and so far reaching. It is. And, um, you know, I, I'm very cautious, um, because I, I never want to make claims that, you know, I can't back up. I'm a journalist now. Um, and I, you know, I, I live by, by the motto of making sure that I can back up anything I say. Um, however, it's very difficult to, you know, continually meet people who were at Camp Lejeune who have these same exact health issues that I have. And also to talk to doctors and scientists, researchers who um, say, well, you know, it's it's if you look at this from a common sense perspective, it's almost impossible to think that you could ingest those chemicals and your immune system would not be affected. Um, so, you know, at some point, um, you, it's just it's hard to deny um, even if it's not something that you can exactly prove because of the nature, the nature of environmental exposures, because you're exposed to a hundred other things. So people who will, who want to deny causation can always say, well, it could have been something else. And that's the problem with these kind of pollutants and just environmental, you know, the, this callous dumping that's so widespread that uh, largely remnants of the Cold War and World War II, but still you have things like the PFAS chemicals and stuff like that. And it is so hard to, to you know, formulate or prove that causation. And that that's why it it's just so disturbing, especially when we're talking about something like water, something that's sacred, necessary to sustain life. Uh, it is incredible, this story that you are now covering, Lori, um, so let's get into it. Yeah. And I think, um, <clears throat> you know, your experience with Camp Lejeune personally and just being so in touch with that community and what they've gone through and what the military's response was is so relevant to our discussion today about Red Hill, because the question is, is Red Hill and the disaster happening there? Are they destined for the same fate as people around Camp Lejeune? Not only with the military's, um, you know, the initial leakage into drinking water, but the military's response, where for the victims of the Camp Lejeune contamination, it took years and years and years of fighting, you know, like like your mother did to get basic recognition for the fact that something had happened. And as we'll get into the Navy response so far doesn't seem that eager to uh, quickly rectify the situation and, you know, provide justice for people who could possibly be contaminated. But let's start with the fact that the Navy had just came out yesterday at the time of this recording, um, that they acknowledged that petroleum chemicals were present in the drinking water, uh, not just in the community of Honolulu surrounding the military base, but on the military base drinking water itself. Uh, even there is a positive test for uh, these chem petroleum chemicals at local elementary schools. So obviously it has gotten into the broader population. Um, this Navy acknowledgement came after a big public outcry because people were literally smelling the petroleum in the water. You even sent me a video, Lori, of a resident filling a cup of water from the tap, 
then putting a flame to it and the water is sparking. You know, you can see sparks flying off the water from the flame, meaning the water was essentially uh, flammable. So that would indicate a pretty high concentration of chemicals for you to be able to smell it and physically burn it. Um, So based on your work, what alarms you most about the fact that it got to the point where people could physically smell these chemicals starting a few days ago? Well, you know, as as you know very well, the, this has been going on for years and people have been raising alarms, um, not only the indigenous people um, who are, you know, our water, greatest water protectors in this country, but also the local health officials. Um, so, so you know already that this is this is not a new situation. Um, when when on Camp Lejeune, you know, you mentioned the baby graves. Um, we also found uh, another graveyard miles away, a Civil War graveyard, and there were rows and rows of babies from Camp Lejeune in that graveyard where the military had buried, literally buried the bodies far away so that people would not be able to to notice it and put two and two together. And so when you have an experience like that in your past, um, you know that the Navy is, is how they operate. And what they do is they put what they consider to be uh, national security first above public health. And that makes no sense whatsoever because you're not it's not national security if you're poisoning your own people. Uh, it's not a foreign force poisoning the people in Hawaii today. It's our own military. So, um, you know, just my history with the Navy makes all alarms go off before anything. And then when I, I hear that and see this, these people with sparking water and smoking water, as you said, you know that that did not come from directly from some tank yesterday and appear in the water the next day. And so everybody knows about it. And now everyone, we can fix this and it's safe. That's not how this works at all. By the time that water gets to that point in a tap, you, there's no way of knowing how long the contamination has been going on. And from watching the press conference with the local officials, I believe that they, they, even though they cannot say what is going on because you really do have to wait for these testing, um, the data to come in, um, they they clearly think it's been it's from previous leaks, not the the latest leak. Um, there there you know this happens. I it seems like it happens a couple of times a year where you're alerted about these leaks in Hawaii. And the problem is that's when you're alerted. Now, how much is going on that they don't alert you to? Um, again, on Camp Lejeune, when they when the contamination got to the point that they realized they could not keep Pandora's box closed anymore, they tried to blame it on an off-site um, dry cleaning facility, which definitely was polluting the water, but that was just a part of this huge puzzle that now is a, a super fun site. So you you just know that there there's probably a, a whole, whole lot of information that you don't have because the, the wolves are guarding the hen house, you know. Um, we're, we're literally asking 
the criminals um, to police the crime scene. Uh, that's not how it works normally, you know. You wouldn't trust if someone came in and robbed your house. You wouldn't trust them to, um, you know, tell you what what you were going to be able to recover. So um, it's it's a bad situation to have to depend on them for data, and it's almost certain that there has been contamination leading up to the point where this shows up. And my good, my big fear right now is that because the water is so alarmingly clearly containing fuel products, that people are going to start to think, well, if my water smells okay, and if my water doesn't mm-hmm. taste like gasoline, it's okay. Right. And I even saw a, a local newscast with an owner of an Applebee's, and he was saying, no, our water tastes fine. Our water's good. So, um, you know, we're just going to keep tasting it and, and, and until we, you know, wow. and I, I can't, I mean, he's a restaurant guy. He's not, it's not, he shouldn't have to know better. You know what I mean? Even though, um, it's hard to imagine that he wouldn't, you know, it's like, it's, he should be able to trust his water supply, mm-hmm. but he can't. And, and it doesn't. And, and that, so I, I kind of saw one of my fears already coming true because people are already thinking, well, my mind doesn't taste bad, so it must be okay. Not true. Benzene is colorless, odorless. Um, and so it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's almost positive that this has been a longer term problem and that there has been um, exposures to the population for an un- unknown amount of time. Right. So you're saying that uh, not only is it true that if the, if the f- water does not taste like fuel and does not spark when you put a flame to it, it could still be carrying uh, highly toxic levels of pollutants. But also, number two, that by the time the concentration gets to the point where you can smell it and taste it and light it on fire, um, it probably indicates that the people people had been drinking that water unknowingly before the fuel scent and taste was apparent that had harmful pollutants in it. Right. And um, and I believe that people have been complaining about stomach issues and headaches, um, you know, eat before the the reports of smelling and tasting the fuel. And the thing is, it, that's acute. That is acute uh, exposure showing. And what is so worrisome is the the chronic exposure, which we don't know how long that has been going on, but you don't get the headaches and the stomach issues unless there is a very high concentration. And and the concentration of benzene is supposed to be zero. So there is no safe benzene in water. Right. I mean, everyone knows that you're like not supposed to drink jet fuel. <laughs> but <Right>. let's <laughs> let's lay out what the health risks are for these type of pollutants. Um. So petrochemicals, the, the nickname is, um, one of the nickname is ethyl methyl death. And that's kind of appropriate, as gothic as it is. Um, it, you know, the main, the main concern is, um, is blood uh, disorders. It, it directly affects your, your bone marrow, uh, damages cells. Um, that's why leukemia um, 
ends up being so prevalent among people who have been poisoned by petrochemicals. Right. Um, childhood cancer, of course, miscarriages, all of the things that people at Camp Lejeune had to deal with, of course. Right. Everyone right. In, uh, on the island of Oahu is faced with, too. Um, so let's get into actually the, the history of this. And I will say to start that um, the geology of Oahu, you know, the big island where Honolulu is, where the center of this crisis, um, it's very porous, the, the rock formations underneath the surface, which allows for a lot of water flow, which, you know, from the standpoint of like living in a natural environment is very good. It means you have all these freshwater aquifers that are constantly replenished from the rains in the rainforest that then water goes underground. It it filters through all of these lava rocks and then it fills all these aquifers. And so from the standpoint of like living, you know, in harmony with nature and having access to fresh drinking water, Oahu has an incredible resources of fresh drinking water. But that becomes a problem when you have things like fuel leaking into the ground, because that means because the geology is so porous, the fuel, water travels underground great distances. And so right now we're talking about one particular aquifer that is being affected, but th there's so much interconnectedness on the island, we don't know how far these chemicals can actually go. Um, so let's just go to the Navy's own studies here, because, you know, the way that you put it earlier, the with Camp Lejeune, uh, the monster they couldn't hide anymore. Um, there has been a monster underneath the surface uh, at Red Hill for decades. So let's just look at the Navy's own data. So the Navy conducted a study of the Red Hill storage tank facility, which covered 1947 to the 1980s. And that study showed continuous ground contamination and continuous leaks throughout the decades, which amounted to, quote, several hundred thousand gallons of fuel spilled. That's a lot. Um, there was a 2002 Navy study which found there were many leaks. Um, there was a Navy audit in 2010 that found not just contamination in the soil, but heavy rusting in the tanks that store all this fuel, which create, of course, small holes from the rust so that the fuel can leak through. So they said, OK, well, if there's this rusting and if we're finding all this contamination over and over again, we'll put in these monitoring wells and then we'll constantly check them to see. And and, then, and this, you know, the pollutants will reach this and then it's before the people's water supply. So we'll know exactly how much contamination is coming. Um, so these wells that were set up all around the site, some directly under the site, but others closer to where the drinking water is, um, found that there were not just continuous contamination, but major leaks that happened in 2008, 2010, 2014, 2015. So those are all pretty regular leaks that happened from these tanks. But the big thing to me in this study is that in the like 20 years or so of monitoring these wells that they set up, there was always a high level of chemicals, of oil, of diesel, and of lead. And that those levels were always above uh, the danger zone, Department of Health standards. Um, they did core rock samples. And in all of these core rock samples where they drill and they pull out feet of rock, all of the rock had heavy petroleum stains throughout it. And, and it was described as one was even like dripping with oil when they pulled uh, the rock samples out. So, but the Navy said that entire time, it, because they're monitoring also the drinking water in the town and the aquifer, and that was fine. There was no chemicals. So it was didn't matter that all these wells were just showing huge leaks and huge amounts of contaminants always as like the baseline because it wasn't in the drinking water, as if it would just stay contained um, in that small area. And I just wanted to, before I get your reaction, 
play this clip from Ernest Lau, who we you know heard a clip from in the beginning, warning about uh, the dangers of this, um, but basically saying that what the Navy is actually doing here with all of these studies. As far as we know, for the fuel tanks itself, all they're doing is monitoring, test sampling right. the groundwater, looking at the uh, vapor below the tanks, the, uh, the uh, petroleum vapor levels below the tanks, and they're just gathering information. They haven't uh, yet gone to try to remediate or remove the contamination from the ground or the, the rock or the water. All they are doing is gathering data and not taking any remedial action. So the Navy has been aware of these leakages for quite some time. And so what they've done as a solution is just continue to do studies and audits to monitor the amount of pollution without actually doing anything else. So my question for you is, sorry, that was a long rant about the history here, is what is your reaction to that? The, the Navy's actions so far or inaction so far, but also the big question, the, the, the chemicals that have now reached the aquifer, where now the drinking water is testing positive, you know, could that be that all of these chemicals have been building up since 1947 and all of these decades of testing that has shown that there's leaks happening and there's just this massive body of fuel under the soil that is just now reaching the aquifers, but could indicate that there is quite a lot behind it still coming and what the implications of that really is for remediation. Right. And that, thank you for such a great um rundown of the past, you know, uh, what's been happening out, out there. That was, that was really informative. Um, and the, the Navy absolutely will kick the ball down the road by saying studies, we need studies, we need data, we need this, we need that. And that's what they're trying to do now by saying we're going to, we need to until 2045 to, Fix this big problem. What? Um, Wait, hold on a second. Yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. They said it, that's their that's their response right now. Yeah. Yeah, that's like a hundred years of doing this. <laughs> yeah. <You> know, <laughs> like sixty yeah. years of you know of of people sounding the alarm on this. It's yeah. incomprehensible, really. Um. So. You know, it's the thing is, is it's always um, I was listening to the Navy press conference and they said that they have to send these samples to the mainland for to the lab because they don't have a lab on the island. They just don't need it enough. And it's too cost prohibitive. And I just, you know, it's 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 one of those times where I just want to scream because how can you say making sure people aren't poisoned is cost prohibitive. How can you say that when we spend the money, you know, we spend every day on drones and bombs and all of it um, that is supposedly to keep us safe? It's like the the, it, the lack of logic um, makes me feel like I'm I'm in some sort of parallel universe sometimes and nothing makes sense because it just doesn't um, it, the, get a lab on the island right now. I'll do it, you know, and, and talking about the tanks um, when when they built the tanks, it was thought of as this just, you know, wonder of the world, you know, um, in an engineering feat. Yeah, you're right. It's it's a, it's an if you just want to look at it. it from that perspective, it's an amazing engineering feat. And here's the thing. 
why or why were we so superior in the 40s to the country we are now that we could do this without, you know, now being able to say, well, if we built it then, we can do something now to fix the problem. We can rebuild it in a safer way. We can remediate it. We can do all this stuff. But instead, we just go, um, these are so big. And what can we do? We need the fuel. And looking at each other with these blank looks. Um, and it's infuriating because if you really think that we're such an amazing country that can do anything, get those fuel tanks, <laughs> turn them off and, and find another way to, to fuel the Pacific fleet, you know? Um, I apologize for, you know, getting animated, but it's just, it's so frustrating. Um, it's so frustrating because uh, when he broke down at the, the beginning of that press conference, um, I just, I feel everything that he's, I have felt the the way he feels about just knowing how long he has asked for this to be fixed, knowing this was a preventable tragedy, knowing we have the means, the capability, everything we need to fix it, and we don't. Because the way we look at national security is completely turned upside down. And the lack of urgency, like you said, I mean, the fact Absolutely. that this is not being prioritized, that human health should be uh, the pinnacle of our of our, you know, quote unquote, national security priorities as the people are the people living here right now that we've known have been poisoned for decades. As you mentioned before, I mean, there's really no safe amount of of ingestion of this kind of fuel. So it is just it's kind of mind boggling just as a side to, to hear, oh, these are safe levels of these contaminants. And you see that time and again, like with, with a lot of these Superfund sites, it's like, okay, they've been remediated to the point where now it's, it's, it's a safe level. It's like, well, how, what level is really safe? Like people in Hawaii, uh, native leaders, local environmental leaders, they have been making the, this demand. And of, of course, Ernest Lau, who we're, we're hearing uh, throughout this podcast, who's the head of basically making sure everyone has water in Honolulu, um, they have been calling on this facility to just be shut down completely. I mean, it's storing all of this fuel literally right on top of where everyone gets their clean water. So it literally just it makes no common sense at all, uh, unless you just have no regard for public health by the Navy, not just of the community, but even of the people on their own base. And even now, the response being slow, it's like their own sailors are drinking the water uh, and bathing with it and all of that stuff. But, you know, of course, they don't care at all, which is, you know, they have a long record of doing. But, you know, just for people to know the reason that the Navy does not want to shut this facility down, why it's such this incredible feat of engineering is because the, the fuel tanks are up in this mountain, you know, storing like 250 million gallons of fuel so that if the and the power goes out, you can still pump fuel to the ships because gravity, because it's flowing downhill from the mountain into the ships. So like basically the thesis is, well, we can't shut this down because it's too important because like if there's another attack on Pearl Harbor and all the power gets knocked out, we can still fuel all our ships because we don't need power to fuel the ships. And it's like, can't you... It's just like nonsensical hypothetical scenarios right. to justify a continuous <laughs> dumping of fuel. Right. No, well, let's let's look at it this way. When they built the, the tanks, they were secretive. No one knew they were there. And mm. in fact, uh, General at the time talked about, um, actually, I think I have the quote right here. He said, 
after the attack on Pearl Harbor, he said, we had about 4.5 million barrels of oil out there, and all of it was vulnerable to 50 caliber bullets. Had the Japanese destroyed the oil, it would have prolonged the war another two years. And that was Chester Nimitz. Uh, he was commander-in-chief of the Pacific Fleet. Now, let me ask you this. It's not secretive anymore. Everyone knows where those tanks right. are. So is it more risk to have <laughs> right. Pearl Harbor hit and 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 be attacked there? Or is it more risk that someone's going to, you know, hey, blow up the right. fuel tanks, you know? A human it shields. Makes, They're using human yeah, shields. <laughs> yeah, it makes no sense. Oh, um, it, we've got these, these massive tanks sitting in a hill where everyone now knows where they are. And now, because of the Navy's own actions, it's going to be even more well-known where these tanks are and what's going on with those tanks. So Mm -hmm. um, we've had so long to deal with this issue, and and he is absolutely right. They have to be shut down. It it just has to happen. Right. And, you know, you I want to play this now because you referenced the press conference um, by Ernest Lau, uh, who we've been mentioning. Um, You mentioned that he breaks down in this press conference um, because exactly because he has been fighting for years and years saying this is an insane problem. Like, why is this here? We need to shut it down. Been sounding the alarm. Um, I'm going to play a clip. This is a press conference he did on December 3rd. Um, and this is after he shut down another major well, knowing that the, the chemicals haven't yet reached it, but are very likely to reach it. Um, and I just want to play this clip and get your reaction. I think this is a foreshadow, foreshadowing of what could happen to the broader community if we don't do something about these, the storage of this uh, of fuel, uh, over 180 million gallons of G- diesel and jet fuel 100 feet above our drinking water aquifer, if we don't do something about uh, eliminating that risk to the, uh, to the water resource. Uh, so I think it's time for action now. Uh, it is time. We cannot wait any longer. The water resources is, is precious. It's irreplaceable. It's pure. There is no substitute for pure water, and and our lives depend upon it. So, I would urge the uh, decision makers and the Navy to take action immediately, to take away this risk from our vital water resources there. So that was Ernest Lau. Uh you know, obviously carrying a very heavy burden now as the person who is responsible for making sure everyone in Honolulu and surrounding areas have access to the most important thing in our lives, which is fresh water. Laura, you you mentioned to me after watching that clip uh, when I sent it to you earlier that um, he is he is not saying everything he knows. And uh, what did you what's your reaction to the clip? And, and what did you mean by that? Right. I mean, it's it's a heavy burden for scientists, people like him in charge of public health, because he knows he can't. um, When I say he can't alarm people, I don't mean, uh, you know, this this notion that you don't want to scare people because you want people to be scared of bad water. Clearly, Um, you know, stop downplaying it. 
be scared of the bad water. But but what I mean is is he can't say to every pregnant woman who has now this worry that they've been giving their baby formula made with this bad water, he can't say to every one of them, your child is going to have this happen. He can't say uh, to to anyone, you know, you're you're going to develop leukemia from this. But what he knows is it's almost certain that some of those people that will happen. So he can't say these things that he can't express the emotional weight of knowing what this is causing because he doesn't know the exact details. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, and, but he had, but the Navy has said in the press conference that there's no evidence to suggest long-term effects of drinking the jet fuel for pregnant women. Yeah. Let's roll that clip. Actually, this is a Navy press conference that they did uh, on December 3rd as well. What is the course of action for pregnant women and unborn children that may be affected? Uh, Doc, can you take this? Well, what, what I would say to that is if you're pregnant, you're concerned, you know, one, uh, obviously drink water that you feel is safe. And so uh, depending on where you are in, the, in our system, but in general, uh, drink water that we're delivering to you or just drink water that's uh, from a bottle or that you're purchasing or that we're delivering through our distribution sites. If you have ongoing concerns, certainly follow up with your primary care provider, your obstetrician, wherever you're getting your uh, prenatal care and have those discussions. Uh, no evidence to suggest that there's any uh, long-term effects, but each individual, uh, depending on your scenario and where you're living, is, is unique. No evidence to suggest long-term effects of drinking the jet fuel for pregnant women. Lori, is that true? That is absolutely not true. Um, and it, it, I, I sent that to um, some people I trust high, high up in the government and public health. And um, I will tell you one of the words that I got back was insane. Um, these are scientists. These are not, you know, activists that people can accuse of being um, emotional, like like I I can tend to get. Um, you know, these are people that that know this uh, this from the data and from everything that that we've learned, and um, it's just that's the only word for it. It's insane for them to sit there and say that and. As I said on uh, I when I tweeted it, I said, you know, this is either criminal negligence or criminal intent. It's one of the two. So um, because at at this point, there's there's zero excuse for a a Navy physician to hold to be involved in a press conference about petrochemicals in people's water and to make that claim. There is no excuse. Ignorance is not an excuse. Nope. Nope, not anymore. Not after poisoning people at Camp Lejeune for decades and not after we've put the amount of science on the books that we have about what that did. Um, I'm a a member of the Camp Lejeune Community Assistance Panel, which is uh, basically we represent the community um, and work with the CDC, uh, ATSDR, which is their environmental kind of leg. 
And and we have done study after study, and often I will be researching something else, and I'll find one of our studies uh, being cited, or I'll end up citing one. Um, so they have access to all of that, and they have access to what has happened because of what they did at Camp Lejeune, and here they go again. Here they are doing it again. And I have zero, zero um, ability to think that that is a mistake or ignorance because it's not, because right. it is telling a pregnant woman um, there's no long-term effects from petrochemicals in her water. I think you could probably find a 12-year-old on a skateboard outside right now and ask, do you think it would affect a woman's baby if she drank <laughs> gasoline? And I think that 12-year-old would probably say, oh, my goodness, yeah, that would be really bad. Yeah. Um, so for a Navy doctor to say that at a press conference, I was livid, livid. Right, because it wasn't just an offhand comment or something. Like, this was the press conference. This was the official orientation from the Navy leadership about this disaster and and telling people, not just on the base, but in the entire community, what they should be doing to protect themselves and what risks there were to, to the health of their children, their unborn children and themselves. And the official response is, you know, don't worry about it. You know, just drink our bottled water until we, you know, clean it up soon or something like that. It's, you know, it kind of is even worse that like it, that he was directly addressing a, a question from someone at risk. basically. Do what you think is right and, oh, you know, go to your doctor and, and talk to them about it. And that was just the most Navy government response you could ever hear because it's always cover your ass. It's all, always, I apologize for the cuss word, but it's always what can I do to shift the responsibility somewhere else? And that's exactly what he did. And we cannot allow our government to do that anymore. It has to stop. We've normalized it. Mm -hmm. We've 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 gotten to a point where we we think a public health official begging the, our own government not to poison our water is a normal thing. <laughs> it's not. It's it should not be a way of life. Um, so I just I I know so many people directly, uh, you know, who have had heart defects who almost died as adults from heart defects they didn't even know they had. And it was from prenatal exposure to these chemicals at Camp Lejeune. Um, obviously writing a book, obviously for the amount of time I've been doing this work, I know a lot of sick people. I know a lot of people who aren't with us anymore. And I've just been exposed to so much pain. And I'm not talking about my personal story. I mean, other people. And so, as I said about all the weight that you carry when you do this work, um, that's the weight I feel when I hear that man lie to pregnant women about long-term effects for their babies. It's just, um, it's hard to take. It is, it's hard not to absorb that in every fiber of your being. All, right. Everything that you've researched, all the people that you've met, the people that you have lost personally, or the you know extensions of your work, losing so many people um, to this ongoing fight for accountability and to be gaslit. I mean, honestly, to be gaslit right. by these public officials who know 
they are feigning ignorance to pass the buck. Uh, so when push comes to shove, they just can skirt responsibility just like they have for several decades from everything from Camp Lejeune to the burn pits to um, Gulf War syndrome. I mean, it just it's an incredibly long list of this uh, this purposeful poisoning and criminal negligence is really the best way that I can explain it. What else is? I mean, we we mm-hmm. use mustard gas on our own troops. Yeah. We we you know if people don't believe, people have a really hard time wrapping their minds around the fact that our own military, when they say they think of the military, they think of you know the actual people in the military, and they think well they wouldn't poison us. Well, no, the the higher ups and the civilian attorneys and this whole structure of the military industrial complex is poisoning the military. (laughs) I mean, that's the people I fight for is our military because people who, um, you know, are living, in fact, you know, another personal connection. My daughter was at this base last year during this time because her boyfriend joined the Air Force while he was in college, and she went there and got caught there during the quarantine. So I told her last year, don't drink the water. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and now, you know, when I heard this news, the first thing I did was call her and say, you know, call him, tell him, whatever the Navy, whatever the Army, whatever the Air Force tells him, do not drink it and don't breathe the steam. Don't boil water. Don't take a hot shower. Um, if I can, I'm sorry to, to go on too long, but one other thing the Navy did was they, they've done this, this thing where they're telling people to flush their water for 20 minutes and they didn't say don't flush hot water. So people are turning on hot water and, and I think I might've heard them say to flush hot water. So that means people are flushing hot water and breathing the vapors. It makes no sense. And when, and when the press conference happened, from the Hawaii officials, they're like, oh, we can't answer why they said to flush it. Uh, we have no idea. You'll have to ask them. And the reason they can't say is because there's no reason to flush the water. It's, it, and, and to flush hot water, to tell people to do that is, again, it's criminal negligence. It's, it's um, they, they have to know better. It's even and more tragic because have- they're like making people feel like then it's safe. You know, oh, right. if you just do this and then it's safe. And then the audacity to actually say, um, you know, talk to your doctor or like figure it out for yourself. I mean, are you <laughs> kidding me? The burden of proof is now on us. The onus is now on these individuals who have been contaminated instead of the contaminator. What else is really the Navy doing in its immediate response, because this has all come to a head. As you mentioned, they're saying, you know, it's okay not only to drink the water if you, you know, supposedly just flush it for 20 minutes to feel safe, but it's also, of course, okay to, you know, quoting them to to bathe, to use this water for cooking, doing dishes. Of course, there's several other ways that water penetrates your skin and, and gets absorbed into your body other than just drinking it, as we've seen in Flint and so many other places. Um, And then, you know, just a week ago on November 24th, there was a rally in Hawaii calling on the military to shut down this facility. Uh, The head of the Sierra Club, Wayne Tanaka, said enough is enough. I mean, we've lost all faith in the local Navy command. 
that's a direct quote from him. And you don't often see a protest against the military from these mainstream environmental groups, because I think a big problem that we haven't talked about is this sort of reverence for the military. A lot of deniability and complacency from different impacted communities, especially when we're talking about directly, you know, military communities, people who live on or surrounding bases that look at the military as a jobs provider, a kind of guardian figure. Um, Mike and I were just at the COP26 climate summit a couple weeks ago, and I talked to David Iggy, Iggy. Um, I'm not sure to pronounce his last name, but the governor of Hawaii, you know, I, I talked to him about this ongoing military contamination, pollution, the fact that the military is exempt from these climate summits. And his response was just, again, just just patting the military on the back, saying that it's so crucial to have, you know, this this huge military presence in Hawaii. Um, And it just seems like that's the kind of stock response that you get from government officials is we need the military. We need to have this national security wall of secrecy around everything that it's doing. And it's also the excuse given when any accountability is demanded from these kind of issues. Exactly. And that's how that's how they um, get away with everything. Um, you know, they don't have to um, live by the same rules as, as the entire rest of the planet. And um, they make the rules in, in so many cases. Um, and, and just like the politicians use troops for pawns and props and, um, you know, use them to say, well, we need this money for this when they really are wanting the money for something else um, because we, we have to support our troops. But they, the politicians care really hardly anything about the actual people, the human beings. They're just using using that. And that's what the own the 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 military industrial complex does the same. They use their people as this shield and um and it's just deplorable and it's it's um it, it never stops, it, just like everything else. And that's one of the reasons why I say when ask, people ask me, what are you trying to do with your book? I say, you know, I really want to change the way we look at, at national security terms like force protection. OK, so we need a large we need a large um, presence in Hawaii. Should they should they be alive or dead? You know, when you say force protection, should we protect them by giving them cancer or should we protect them by making sure that some hypothetical weird thing from China happens maybe someday? Um, So, you know, and, and going back to what you were saying about the climate conference, it ties into that because they, of course, are the largest um, footprint, carbon footprint, and aren't uh, aren't held to the same standards. Um, so, you know, if they're me- if they're made to follow the rules, you know, it solves not only our environmental contamination issues, but it 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 solves a lot of the climate crisis, uh, which is why they fight everything so hard because that would mean changing the people who are getting wealthier and wealthier from this this system. It, it's the it's the leadership, it's the government, it's the Pentagon, it's the civilian attorneys. Um, I mean, those were the real bad guys in, in the Camp Lejeune story, were the civilian attorneys. Um, they're the ones who stopped accountability. 
they're the ones, uh, you know, the government, the Obama Justice Department um, went to, to the Supreme Court and stopped anyone from Camp Lejeune from having the ability to have any kind of legal recourse. Wow. For, and, and so that is, that is the big, you know, um, nebulous kind of dark power that people don't understand is what's really calling the shot. So, you know, I guess what I'm saying is we have to, we have to separate in people's minds the 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 people who are in the military and the people who are running the military and it's critical i think if we're going to be able to rein them in not only rein in their carbon footprint and their continued um contamination and for example one as a side thing they're the on our overseas basis there's not even the protection of the EPA. They have zero, they have zero accountability. So there's all kinds of contamination in Okinawa and Italy and all these other places. And I think in a moment we'll get into like that that bigger picture stuff because if it's uh, we know this is a problem in the continental U.S. Of course, Hawaii probably has a harder time because of course there's this this colonial history there too, where it's, it was, Hawaii wasn't even a state when Pearl Harbor was attacked. It was just considered, you know, just a, a territorial holding of uh, the U.S. empire. And of course, that that legacy and that status of Hawaii, even after becoming a state, you know, the rights of the community of indigenous people, all of that uh, continues to be trampled. And and you know, it has to be bad when, you know, I'll, I'll go back to that quote that, that Abby read, when you have the head of the Sierra Club, in Hawaii. I mean, the Sierra Club is a is a it's not some radical group. It's a fairly mainstream liberal environmental organization. When you have him publicly at a press conference before this disaster even broke saying, quote, we have lost all faith in the local Navy command, end quote, you know, it's you know, it's been bad. And, and you know that and, and that you can imagine, you know, what kind of response they have been getting to the Navy from the Navy urging them to prevent exactly you know what's happening now and, and unfolding now is exactly what people have been warning about for decades and really been you know the the same figures that are now leading the struggle against what's happening now are the ones that 10 years ago have been confronting the navy and trying to get trying to raise awareness about this issue but if you have the head of the sierra club saying we've lost all faith in the navy command um that says a lot about the situation but it also speaks to why people need to care about this issue happening right now? Because what is in store for the people uh, who live in that community when not only do we have this potential mass of chemicals and under the soil that we don't know how much water it's going to impact, how many people have already drank it and are going to have side effects and how many people are going to continue to drink it. But all we have seen from the Navy so far is we'll get more data in 20 years, maybe we'll have some kind of solution to it, lying to people and really covering it up. And the fact that Sierra Club leader Wayne Tanaka saying we've already lost faith in the Navy command. That was before they really needed to tr trust them to, to clean this thing up. Well, yeah, I, just, I you know, I, I I agree that having someone from such a mainstream organization saying that um, because, you know, they 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 kind of walk the line in politics and that kind of thing um, that it, it is a big, it's a big deal. Um, and, and, you know, just to say it does, it's worth pointing out that the Navy really is the most 
egregious um, repeat offender in in this. Um, and people on their own Facebook page for the base are saying, you know, the army's army's letting people leave their homes and, and they're putting people up immediately in other housing. You know, there's just this constant sense that the army takes better care of their own people than the Navy. Hmm. Um, whether that's true or not, I have no idea. I'm just saying the Navy, you know, in particular, it's not just the entire armed forces here. It, this, this is on the Navy. And they are the ones that did it at Camp Lejeune. Um, and they are the ones who uh, knew that PFAS was a problem and kept doing that. Um, so it's, it, it's time for them to change. Um, it's beyond time, clearly. Infuriatingly, it seems like the Pentagon budget just continues to expand year after year, even though, you know, the, the America's longest war in Afghanistan came to a close. And it's just like this endless valve of money that continues to funnel into the supply of, uh, you know, new iterations of different F-35s or, or whatever. And it's just unbelievable that this lunacy of not paying out you know, actual human cases that are in dire need of uh, health care, you know, in a country that famously does not have health care. And it's just so crazy to me. It's so crazy to me, whether it's the first responders of 9-11, whether it's the victims of Camp Lejeune water contamination, whether it's these people. And who knows, you know, we can only imagine the health impacts that will be felt for decades um, from what we know is going on right now. And as you mentioned, this decoupling of the idea that the military cares about us, that it's right. not just this extension of this profit making apparatus. I mean, it, we really need to start the political education to the people in this country who are completely indoctrinated and, and, and really do believe that the military is, you know, is looking out for our best interests. And and I don't know the best way to do that. I think that your work is really crucial to that. We're trying to do our part as well, but it just seems like it's so deep seated. Um, and it's really difficult to, to kind of unlock that. Um, I, I, I don't know. I mean, and also there's just, just this huge gap because of the war on terror and like repropagandizing of just academia and a lot of lack of, connecting all of these issues together of the environmental havoc that's wreaked from the military industrial complex. Um, Lori, let's talk about uh, accountability, what it really would look like there in the immediate term and long term. Of course, the immediate relocation of these fuel tanks is, I, I think, the number one thing that everyone can understand is absolutely necessary. I mean, what do you think? What are what are local residents calling for? A state of emergency? Um, what do you what is being laid out in terms of advocacy advocacy right now? Well, I think you know, going back to what you're saying about um, the the need to to decouple this stuff. Um, I think that what's changing after the the forever war and, and all of that, and after, you know, even though Camp Lejeune might still be under the radar and other contamination, um, I think that the change is actually going to come from the ranks of the military. 
Um, and I see that. I see that in the questions that they were asking at that Navy press conference. Um, the, the, one of the questions was, um, is this going to be noted in our file for VA claims? Because they know that they're probably you know, going to end up with some illness or that one of their loved ones will that they'll want to get a claim in on. Um, that's not somebody who feels like their, quote, boss is taking care of them. The first thing they're doing is saying, you better put this in my file, you know, so if I get cancer, I can get disability. That's starting, that's a huge crack in in that the idea that they're t that the military is taking care of us because the own their own people know now more and more every day and that's why you know their their recruiting is changing um, so I, I think that a hopeful note if if there is such a thing in a story like this it's that the the people who are in the military are starting to understand that they are um, pawns in so many cases that are being as, you know, going back to World War II veterans who were, again, poisoned by um, mustard gas as, as experiments. And there's a long history of that. And that's kind of what this is. It's just a different version of it. The military being willing to um, use people at, with, regardless of their health. Um, so I think that that's, that's a hopeful thing. Um, as far as Advocacy, I think that, that that there needs to be, first and foremost, there needs to be real information being given to people um, as opposed to what they're doing right now, which is flush your systems, turn on your hot water, uh, you know, nothing about, like, how many people probably think that if they boil water, they can drink it mm -hmm. without realizing that if they're, they're, breathing that steam, that's going directly into their lungs. Right. Um, vapor intrusion is still an issue on Camp Lejeune because they're still underground plumes of contamination. And they're just kind of slowly moving around underneath the ground. And uh, so there was a barracks last year that, that read too high for the uh, the air quality was was so saturated that they had to shut it down. Wow. And that's from contamination from decades ago. So I think that first and foremost, there has to be real information. And if they think it's going to alarm people, good. Mm -hmm. It needs to alarm people. Uh, shut it down and get and, and get people out of the housing, mm -hmm. put them somewhere else. I don't care how much it costs. As, as you were just saying, um, <laughs> we have the money. Right. Um, Good Lord, if there's any budget that has it, it's the defense budget. <laughs> right. And that's one thing that right now uh, is being called for uh, Joe Biden to declare a state of emergency. That way, yes. all of these funds could be designated to get people in safe areas, make sure like so that's an immediate thing that needs to happen that everyone should be calling on the Biden administration to do. Um, and of course, there's so many things that need to happen, like as part of that state of emergency in terms of a cleanup and stuff like that. But uh, as we talked about earlier, the biggest thing that needs to happen, and this has to be a catalyst for this, is this site needs to be shut down. I mean, it absolutely has to be. I mean, there's no longer any, I mean, the, the warnings are, that time has passed. The, the crisis is here. Um, we don't know how big of a disaster this already is and could become if there is not an immediate shutdown of the storage facility. Um, but 
you know, that's why we that's why we wanted to to talk about this so urgently, um, because it's an emergency situation. This is a red alert at Red Hill. We don't know how big and devastating it's going to be. We This could end up being another Camp Lejeune situation where the scale is that, you know, hundreds of thousands of people have been ingesting these chemicals or will over the next several years. And then you will have another graveyard of infants um, on Hawaii. I mean, this is really what is happening now. And I think um, the advantage that we have in this moment is it's happening now and people can react to it now. And people who have been struggling in communities all across the country and in other countries around U.S. bases, I mean, they're fighting decades and decades after the poisoning had happened. This is happening now. We know it's happening now. And we can be holding the Navy's feet to the fire, uh, the White House's feet to the fire to make sure that this story does not just exist in local media. And and that's where it lives right now. I mean, I've been doing a lot of research uh, on this case over the past couple of days. I'm seeing a lot of stuff in local Hawaii media, and I'm not seeing much anywhere else. Of course, uh, some elected officials from Hawaii, uh, you know, made an impassioned speech in Congress and so forth. So it's it's gotten out there in the national in, in politics, but it's it's not a story yet. Um, and it needs to be a story. And I think people just getting more information from you and listening to this and, and having it on their radar and trying to do what they can to push the issue, I think, is um, extremely important. I think that um one one issue with what you were talking about is the fact that we tend to think of Hawaii as a different a different like you know it's it's not to to people in America it's it's a vacations place where you go they don't think of it as the same as they would think of Massachusetts or Iowa you know um, and that needs to that needs to be kind of addressed as well because it's that's 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 part of us. That's that's America. And um, if if this were happening in California, I think that the reaction in the national media would be different. And that's mm-hmm. a sad commentary on on things, but I think it's true. So um, I agree that it 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 really needs to get immediate attention because the the Navy has to be forced to do the right thing because they're not going to do it on their own. Um, if I could do anything, I would put the gentleman who to held the press conference um, in charge. The <laughs> and uh, and I would say he gets carte blanche on making yeah. all decisions. And I would get the inspector general in there because the the Navy's uh, the Department of Defense's own inspector general has written time and again about how they are not learning from the mistakes that they are making, and they are and and pointing out what they keep doing wrong. Um, all all power to Ernest Lau. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, You know, I and thank you for that. And just to wrap up, I mean, I uh, of course, it's important to focus on this uh, very important local story of Red Hill. But just to zoom out for a moment, I mean, you are working on a book called Marine Life, How War Transformed America's Environment from Farms and Fishing to Toxic Soil and Water, which is about this topic precisely. Um, in your re- why this issue affects everyone, not just people living in Hawaii. Uh, in your research for your book, what have you found so far in terms of how big this problem really is? I mean, we know about Camp Lejeune. We now know a little about Red Hill, and more and more people will learn about it. But uh, are there other potential Camp Lejeunes out there? Are there other possible Red Hills out there? How big is this issue of the military contaminating our water and soil? Uh, how big is it really? Um, I think that 
the the problem is what we don't know. And again, that goes back to what's happening in Red Hill, where we have to depend on the the de, the Department of Defense to tell us what is happening. Um, so basically, you're asking the people who are guilty of something to tell us what they've done. Uh, and that's that's a terrible situation to be in. So I think that raising awareness will hopefully make more and more people go out and find out what is going on in their own backyard, because this is not just on base anymore. Um, with PFAS, it's contaminating local communities' water supply. Um, so people have to really stop trusting their water. They need to say, um, I need to take charge of, of my safety, my family's safety, my community's safety, because I can't trust the government. Um, so there's that, but there's also, you know, in my book, I think we, we tend to forget how much war has transformed our way of life. Um, you know, there was such a huge upheaval for World War II and the legacy of that. And, uh, you know, for instance, my, my family owned farms in Onslow County and they were um, forced off the land by the government and that land turned into Camp Lejeune, which is one of my kind of dark ironies um, in my own history. Uh, so, you know, that happened across the country. And I think it's connected to how we have gotten, um, we've, we've kind of been able to get disconnected from our food supply, uh, you know, our air, our water, everything. Um, because we don't, we aren't connected to our own land anymore. And a big part of that is because of the military and war. So I'm trying to kind of tell the story in a way that makes it a very American story. Um, not just what's happening now, but kind of all of the consequences of war. Um, and, and the important thing for me is where, where do we go now? So much to explore, and I cannot wait for your book. Um, we hope to do an interview with you, a sit-down interview, come to where you are for the film, which would be really incredible. How can people find— I'll give you some Southern food. Calm yeah, down. Be great. <laughs> I would love to. I would love to. Um, how can people find out more about your work? How can people support your projects best? Um. You know, I I'm very active on Twitter. Uh, I I I I'm actually someone who actually loves that website. You know, as frustrating <laughs> as it can be, um, I've made a lot of connections there, and and I've learned a lot from people there. So um, that's certainly always somewhere that you can find uh, find my work. Um, I don't have kind of a an author website yet. I'm that's in that's a work in progress, um, but. Uh, you know, so so I have a Facebook page as well. And I also maintain the Camp Lejeune Community Assistance Panel uh, Facebook uh, page. And that's a good place to learn more about Camp Lejeune. Um, there's also a documentary I'd like to mention um, about Camp Lejeune that I, I think is informative in a way that that will help people understand the current issues. And that's, uh, it's called Simplify Always Faithful. And it's about the drill instructor who um, kind of took on the entire <laughs> military industrial complex, basically. And, and he's the only reason that we have 
what we have as far as information because they have no transparency. So I think that it's important for people to understand that it took one of their own going against them and saying, if you're not going to, if you're not going to live up to your motto, I'm going to live up to it. So that documentary is available and I would encourage everyone to watch it. And my mother is actually in that documentary talking about the babies she lost. And um, before, of course, she knew that she herself was going to die of leukemia. So um, so that's a good way to, to get a, an idea of how hard this fight is going to be. I think people will have a better sense of it if they watch that documentary. Right. And uh, I agree with you that a rebellion from within the ranks of the military is uh, definitely an important and crucial component of this broader struggle about military pollution. Um, and, you know, I think if anyone is listening who is in the active duty or reserves or National Guard, I mean, you know, the whole history should tell you this, but just this one case alone at Red Hill shows you that the people that you trust with your lives, that you're supposed to believe are telling you the right thing when they tell you to go to this or that country and risk your life, that they uh, they don't have much regard for your life at all. And they will literally poison you and your family uh, and just try to cover it up and actually deny you benefits once you get out. Right. Um, but and anyway- importantly, mm-hmm. importantly, sorry, just to, to add to that. It's not just that they they are willing to do it, but, you know, it's it's not necessary. It's not necessary for them to do it in order to, quote, keep us safe. Right. So they could be absolutely doing exactly what they need to do as far as goals of keeping us safe without poisoning people. Right. Active duty and their families. Right. It's just it's not you're you don't have to be a casualty of war when you're not in a war. Right. And no, that's it's just what everyone pure, is. It's just pure disregard for human life. No ethics, no morals. And uh, that's who is in charge uh, at the Pentagon and uh, down through the, the upper ranks of the, the Navy command and the other branches, um, you know, all just as bad. Um, Lori, we thank you so much for joining us. Uh, if you want to follow Lori on Twitter, uh, as she mentioned, she is at Lou Freshwater. That is at L-O-U Freshwater. And um, Lori, we hope to talk to you again very soon at Empire Files. Thank you so much for, again, for having me and for all the work you do. And um, I look forward to working with you to, to hopefully keep people safe. Thank you.